back everyone to a new episode of Virtual Coffee. My name is Alexa Collier and on this podcast I interview innovative and accomplished early career professionals and small business owners. With me today is Jules Reich. Jules is currently a quality improvement analyst at a large health plan company and she has a lot of experience as a data analyst including experience at a medical nonprofit. Jules received her bachelor's degree in Spanish from the University of Washington and a master's degree in international relations from Central European University. She continued her graduate education in international relations and public health at George Washington University. Now, before we dive into Jules' story, I'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast on the Apple Podcasts app. You can also listen to Virtual Coffee on Spotify and Podbean, and we really appreciate your support. So with that, let's dive into Jules' story. Welcome, Jules. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so happy to have you here. We're really ready to dive into your journey. So with that, I'd love if you could take us through your journey from undergraduate school to graduate school to where you're at today, and what led you to all those milestones? So... I was not one of those people who went into undergraduate school like with a whole plan. I was really clear about the kind of university I wanted to go to, but I had very sketchy ideas and a very vague notion of what I wanted to actually do while I was there. And I ended up doing um, a major in Spanish at the University of Washington, Seattle, which is a huge campus. At the time, it was like 40,000 undergraduates. So it gave me a really great opportunity to get exposed to all sorts of things, but I didn't really get a lot of opportunities to be deeply connected with either the subject matter or with individual faculty members or classmates. And after that, I ended up working for a few years. I worked for an online learning division of Stanford that was online learning for gifted youth, mm-hmm. kind of through a fluke. And though I enjoyed parts of working there, I knew it really wasn't for me long term. And I wasn't really into that like Silicon Valley, hyper competitive, like work 24 seven environment. And I worked at Hertz and that's where I got my start in kind of like data analysis and looking at things through spreadsheets and with numbers. That wasn't something I was exposed to before. I think a lot of people aren't necessarily given opportunities to like play with those tools or even learn the basics of them in undergraduate and in earlier education, the same way that like everybody writes essays um, and most everybody does some kind of like art project or geography project. Uh, So that really helped me figure out more of what I was going to do. Uh, You can see there's like a trial and error theme emerging (laughs) here, obviously. And that really led me to graduate school because what Mm -hmm. I worked on with Hertz was basically um, toll information, like national tollway information for um, either people who were in rental car fleets or in the trucking industry or things like that. And I just couldn't see like spending my entire twenties or like worse, my entire career looking at just tolls. It just (laughs) seemed like too bleak. And I ended up going to graduate school in Hungary for international relations at Central European University, which was in Budapest at the time. And it was a fabulous experience. Um, I could talk about it for hours. I probably will on this podcast. (laughs) And that really opened me up to like a whole different world of like, there's so many areas of international law you can go to. There's areas of international business. There's people that work in international nonprofits and there's so much more than just like, I think there's a stereotype of like, if you do international relations, then you just go into the diplomatic service and that's it. There's actually so much more you can do. 
and I really enjoyed it because it was a way that like languages were valued, um, having like a wide berth of experience was valued. And I did a short stint kind of, we're now sort of clear, we're close to the end of my graduate school experience now, Mm -hmm. in case anyone was (laughs) concerned or hungry. Uh, I did a short stint at the Graduate um, Institute of Geneva, Switzerland on the World Trade Organization, um, dispute policies and procedures. And then after that, I did a year um, doing public health and international relations at George Washington Mm -hmm. University in D.C. And so with that, I got a lot of different environments. I think um, by the time graduate school goes around, a lot of people kind of by default or by necessity go to like a place that's closest to them Mm -hmm. or a place that is valued by like the people that they work with at the time. And I feel very fortunate in that I was able to experience all those different environments and see how different they were and how different these experiences are. Wow. So you have an incredible journey already, a lot of different experience as well. And you explained how you got to graduate school, which I definitely want to dive into later, and how your interest in data analysts became, you know, through your through your job at Hertz. I am curious, what led you to want to major in Spanish originally during your undergraduate career? So I had a hard time at University of Washington because the classes were just so big. Um, Mm -hmm. Even in the second year, it was the style of thing where it's like 400 people in the big auditorium and then you have to buy like a remote control and you have a question (laughs) on the PowerPoint and you click the questions. Mm -hmm. And I had come from a high school where it was like much more intensive and when I was in high school, I was really looking forward to getting into like small group discussions Mm -hmm. um, and really like diving into the material and things like that. And other people who went to that same school obviously have very different experiences, but for mine, I just felt very like lost in the crowd and like, you know, no one cares about me and no one cares if I show up. And so I tried to transfer out, but I had kind of it was kind of too late. I had too many AP credits. Mm -hmm. I had too many like course credits. And so there wasn't really anywhere for me to go. And the shortest route to graduation was Spanish because of the way they counted up courses. Yeah. This isn't a particularly like inspirational story, but I think, (laughs) I mean, I obviously for a lot of professionals, I think there's a tendency to not, not sugarcoat, but I think Mm -hmm. really put your best foot forward and sort of market your past experiences. And like, I always wanted to do X, Y, and Z, I think that if everybody took like true serum, a lot of people would be like, oh, I just picked this thing because it seemed like a good idea at the mm-hmm. time or like someone I respected said I should do it or it seemed like the safest, easiest option. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Those decisions mm-hmm. at like 17 and 18 of like picking your school, picking your major, picking whether you're going to do a gap year or go traveling, they have a lot of ramifications later on but they don't have to like decide your whole life course and like Mm -hmm. your career course and so I pick Spanish out of like a default option um and sort of as an avoidance of other things it was a push thing rather than like a pull towards Mm -hmm. Spanish and ironically I think that turned out to be sort of a good thing for me it's a good language to have in the U.S. obviously but it's Mm -hmm. also it really helped me when I chose to do a more internationally focused career and also the and the skills that you learn when you have to practice a, um, not your first language as an adult really teach you like humility and how to express yourself and how to be comfortable being like with other people that are not going to communicate with you in your first language were really helpful. 
Um, and in addition, I got to do things in undergrad. Like I was an intern at the Mexican consulate in Seattle, wow. which was really good experience. And it, um, the fact that I was in a workplace that wasn't set up quite like an American workplace and that had different rules and expectations and procedures really helped me later on when I when I chose to do international relations and also just in later circumstances and work in my life. I appreciate your transparency and your realistic perspective on your choice to major in Spanish. And even though at first it may have been the easiest route to graduation, you were able to find the benefits and most importantly, the opportunities that that degree led you to. Um, So I think that's a beautiful perspective to have on that decision. Now, before we get into your, your graduate school experience, I would like to know more about your current position. And you briefly explained, you know, how your passion for, for being an analyst came to be. I'm curious if in your current position as a quality improvement analyst at, you know, a large health plan company, are you able to leverage your Spanish degree, global public health, international relations experience all in this current role? So currently what I do at Centene, because of the nature of the work and like the structuring of the contracts, it's not the most like creative, like all, it's not really like a creative brainstorming, like all ideas are good ideas sort of Mm -hmm. place. But I do think that it's, it's been a great position for me and it's sort of a unique position in that there are pieces of all those things in there. There's the public health component, very obviously, and the knowledge of like the healthcare delivery system in the U.S., as well as like healthcare supplies and things like that, that have become super important in recent months. Mm -hmm. And for me, I also have found places to work within the company and I'm looking to do more of this within the company. So for me, I've I've taken a special effort to try to figure out how my skills can be best leveraged within the position. A lot of the advice that I was given and people still give me, um, or like a lot of advice to new job seekers is like, how can you fit the role as described? But I would encourage people to think a little bit more outside the box and start to think more of how they can, how what they bring to the table can be best fit into the role and maybe expand a little bit as much as you can. That's been really important for me. And I find that like a lot of people, it doesn't necessarily occur to them that like, hey, if there's a good international example for how this problem was solved, or mm-hmm. it would be useful to have this out in Spanish as well, or like a professional that speaks another language could really help us out in this situation. But it's really valuable to be the person there with that insight. And again, the data and analysis field, I think it sort of has this reputation, which I think also fits reality to some extent, that it's like very dry, very boring, like <laughs> all about the numbers. People are just going to calculate the average and that's it but I don't think it has to be that way. And I think that if you're willing to like open up a little bit and take like some small little risks and be like, okay, well this t- class I took that wasn't exactly about data analysis could be useful here. I think it'll be a lot more interesting and rewarding. I love that little nugget of advice you had in there, which is to think outside the box. What unique thing can you bring to the table and to your position? I think that's so important. And a lot of people I wonder if they don't think that way about their job. Um, You know, first, of course, fulfill the responsibilities you were hired for. You can't ignore your job responsibilities. But once that's fulfilled, what else can you bring to the table, like you're saying? And how can you expand that role? And who knows what that will lead you to? I think it's an excellent piece of advice there. So turning to your, your graduate school experience, 
would love to hear everything about that. And especially how do you think going to school in Hungary versus in the United States affected you or changed your experience? For me, going to graduate school in Hungary was a really transformative experience, which I know is like a cliche. And like every time someone like reads a book or have a glass of water, they're like, a transformative <laughs> experience. Um, but for me, I really mean it. I sort of went in like very optimistically. I wasn't entirely sure what was going to happen, but I really found that like being in a different system like really forces you to operate in a different way and it sort of forces you to go past things you thought you could do. Uh, a lot of the sort of like support systems that people have in American universities, like there's a someone to help you find housing or um, there's like mm -hmm. an academic advisor they didn't have. Um, so it was just sort of more of a sink or swim environment. And it wasn't that it was unsupportive. In fact, there were a lot of people that were like willing to reach out for you and like willing to explain how things work. But I didn't know anything worked because I hadn't been in that system beforehand. Right. And I really had to stretch those muscles of like asking for help and like trying to receive help um, and mm -hmm. helping out others and doing things um, sort of communally in a way that wouldn't have worked. Like it doesn't work in U.S. universities the way mm -hmm. they are now because it's an international school you do have people with all different backgrounds and especially when you're going over international relations topics all day but with any topics really um you learn like oh you have that assumption but i don't have it because i have different history books one thing that we used to do for mm -hmm. small talk like all the time was we would talk about um like the projects we did as kids so like some people come from systems where it's really important that you like memorize poetry and like recite poetry or um, systems that are really important that like your family and your extended family comes to class versus the system that like I was brought up in the US was very much like, are you going to pass these standardized tests or right. not? And so I think I would have really missed out on a lot had I not done that. You learn to network with other professionals and to like to find common ground mm. because like what you really have is that shared experience of like everyone arriving in Budapest is trying to do this thing, trying to figure out how the system works. I remember everyone had like a reusable container to buy eggs with. Like you didn't just buy, like the eggs didn't come in a carton that you bought. The eggs were in the store and then everyone brought like this plastic reusable carton and like filled up their carton and took that to the register. And I saw the eggs, but I couldn't figure out where, for the life of me where the plastic carton was. <laughs> I was like, where do these come from? I don't understand. <laughs> I like tried to ask for them at a store and people were like, we don't sell them there. And then I finally broke down and asked one, like a Hungarian student. She was mm -hmm. like, oh, they're sold at gas stations. Oh, and I was wow. like, oh, that's <laughs> the one place I haven't looked, the gas station. Right. How obvious. And then later people asked me questions about the U.S. that turned out to be like my own form of the gas station. Mm -hmm. Like they were like, why do you like those red plastic cups so much? And I was like, that is an <laughs> excellent question that I don't have an answer for. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So for me, it was just a amazing experience of like something new every day, getting to experience a totally different lifestyle and really see like if that was going to work for me and be kind of like out of the constraints of some things in the U.S. system. And like mm -hmm. I really found that once like different expectations were there, um, I was able to meet them in ways that like I doubted that I could. So it was great for me. Yeah, this is such a fascinating story, a very, yeah, just a very unique experience that I haven't experienced myself. I have a couple questions based on what you said. 
So did you intentionally choose to go to an international school or were you applying to some schools in the U.S., some international, just ended up this way? How did you decide to go to this school in particular? So because I knew I wanted to do international relations, mm-hmm. um, it was really important to me to be in like an international setting. It's traditional <laughs> for people who are interested in international business careers with U.S. companies or with um, U.S. diplomacy to go to many one of the many excellent programs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and get an education there about the system. And I wanted to have that, but I also wanted to have the experience of going abroad. So my plan was, I, in my research phase, I researched international relations schools in the U.S. as well as international relations schools that were international themselves. By that, I mean like an international student body and also outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. When I was doing that, I found that what was really important to me were more about like the school values. And that's something I learned from like my negative experience in undergrad and the fact that like when I was 17, I really, I didn't know how to do the research about it. And no one was really there to like explain to me like, hey, it's not enough to look at the brochure. Like you need to to walk through these things and you need to figure out the departments and talk to someone who's been there. If you've ever like research schools, you know how like if you picture the website, the first photo is like a beautiful like park in the middle of campus and there's like a professor walking with like a diverse group of students (laughs) Mm -hmm. do you know what I'm talking about yeah definitely that photo so they all have that photo but for me like CEU and Hungary was actually like that and my plan was that I which I ended up doing I did a the one year at CEU the Mm -hmm. opportunity the Graduate Institute of Geneva kind of came into my lap at the end of that summer and I did that for a few months and then I ended up doing a year in Washington, D.C. at George Washington University. So I was sort of looking for a program that would offer me both the international school experience and the U.S. school experience. And I couldn't find exactly what I wanted. So I ended up making it for myself, mm-hmm. which was challenging in some ways because I had to figure out all the administrative, financial, getting like all the paperwork and order things by myself. And I didn't have like a such and such program to stamp on my resume afterwards. But I don't regret it, even though it was difficult in those ways, because I think it really served me and it sort of suited what I was trying to do. Yeah, you really carved your own your own path and your own future. And I yeah, I think that's such an important skill to have in life. And I think that just gets you places and opens up opportunities that necessarily wouldn't be there if you took a more traditional path or perhaps those those opportunities wouldn't suit you as best as the ones that you open up for yourself do. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So I know where you're at today, you know, isn't your final destination. This isn't your final position, isn't your final job. I'm curious, what are your future goals and where do you see yourself? I mean, I think through the, through the pandemic for the past months, mm-hmm. I think we've all had moments to reflect on our present, our future, whether that's changed or not. I think as someone in public health, this is like a big, turning point for public health practice and public health professionals in the U.S. And I think what happens now with this pandemic and the fallout and other issues is really going to, I mean, not to be dramatic, but I think the fallout from this pandemic is probably going to extend in some form, like through the rest of my lifetime Mm -hmm. um, in the public health field, as well as just in our lives. So I've really been trying to be positive about it and embrace the opportunity to look at my future differently. I have really enjoyed being in data analysis and in 
quantitative research a lot more than I thought I would. When I was a kid, they did the like dividing the classroom into like math people and then like reading and word <laughs> people, which obviously went down along gender lines. And like, I have so much sympathy for anyone who runs an elementary school classroom that it's like whatever you need to do. But at the same time, I think that really like rigid, like you're good at this or you're good at this thinking for me was very limiting. Hmm. And so because as an adult, I found that like I actually enjoy a lot of quantitative work and like you can still like learn new math topics when you're in your mid 20s. Wow, so nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So for me, that's something that I'd really like to explore. I've been studying Russian for the last few years. Wow. And I'm working my way up to advanced. I'm going to get there one day, like it or not. <laughs> and so in the future, I'd really like to be able to combine those skills in a role one day, which I think would be great. Awesome. So, yeah, so it sounds like really, you know, learning new language, expanding your perhaps international experience, taking in, you know, what this pandemic, how that might affect your future and also diving into your mathematics passion. I think that's incredible. That's an interesting combination too. And it, it's cool to see how you're combining all of those passions and knowledge and interest into, into one job or, or many. I have this theory that more people are combinations than think they are. Mm-hmm. I think like as people really like, like Myers-Briggs types and like astrology and like the Enneagram and all these things that like sort people into types And that definitely can be useful, but I think when people take it to the extreme, it can be very like, well, I'm like this, so I'm going to stop here. And I benefited from people who took me inside and said, like, you know, I know you think this, but like, if you just try that, like, you'll, you'll be surprised, like, it'll go farther. So yeah, definitely. And and just because perhaps you're a majority of one type, or you have a big, larger passion in one area doesn't mean you can't also address and pursue the other areas of your life while they not they might not be the majority of your life or your focus they still exist and you can still go down those paths and and explore them yeah totally agree so switching topics a little bit here you know from your experience in undergraduate school graduate school the professional workforce I'm curious what your top three best practices for balancing work life and your passions are Here's what I would say on reflection. I would say, for me, the three top things that have helped the most are don't settle for less than you deserve. Sometimes in life, you have to settle for less than what you want temporarily because, like, we all live in the real world. There's bills. There's stresses. Like, not everything is available when you want it. But I think people have to be really careful about consciously sort of talking themselves into things being acceptable, both in terms of jobs and in terms of, like, situations like not only like what role is offered to you, but what, like what you make of it and what your relationships with your um, other coworkers or with people in your life are like. So never like try not to settle, never settle for less than you deserve. Two, I would say invest in your health, time, energy, like money wise, like just make sure you don't like shortchange at the end of the day. I think when people get stressed out, either in the pandemic or otherwise, the first things to go are like sleep and exercise and like healthy eating. And it just, the more you stay on top of that, I think the better off you are in the long run. And then my third best practice would be to respect timing and accept that like, you're not going to get everything you want at the time you want it, like at all at the same time. 
And I think that I'm in my 20s. I think a lot of young people have sort of like a clock in their heads. Like, all this has to happen by the time I'm 30. Or like, mm-hmm. all this happens. All this has to happen by the time I'm 35. Um, and there's a lot of like media pressure and like people and with definitely with like social media and like seeing what, what everyone's doing. There's a sense of like, oh, my God, time is running out. Like, I have to do this now. There won't be time later. But I think that if you kind of take a step back and let timing help you prioritize things and accept that a lot of things that you want, like whether it's like a new position or different skills or like a a geographic move or whatever, like it's not going to happen at the push of a button and it might be still okay if it happens later. Like you won't run out of time. I think uh, it's really helpful. Excellent. So to summarize, don't settle for less than you deserve. Invest in your health, which I love that one, by the way. I really love how you said health and not something more specific like self-care or mental health. Just invest in your health in general. I love that. And respect timing of life. Yeah, I completely agree that a lot of folks, I think, have this set timeline for themselves, right, that they made up when they were eight years old. And if they don't stick to that, it's terrible. It's a failure. Uh, but that's that's not true, right? Just because something didn't happen when you thought it was supposed to doesn't mean you're a failure or it didn't work out. Excellent pieces of advice. I, I love all three of those. My final question here for you, Jules, is what is your proudest accomplishment? Now, I always I always say this, that it can be related to your work or not at all. It can be from, you know, 10 years ago or just from yesterday. What is your proudest accomplishment? I would say that my proudest accomplishment will be bouncing back from getting fired. This isn't something that like a lot of people talk about, but once I did get fired and everyone knew because it was a job that I was really excited about and like updated people that I was doing this job. And then it occurred to the people that I was working with that it wasn't working out a lot sooner than it occurred to me. So it was kind of sudden for me and this job to be parted. For me, it was like a very intense blow and I like almost went through it like a breakup. Mm-hmm. It, it was very dramatic about it. It really hurt like my self-esteem and like my sense of like who I was and what I could contribute. So it took a lot of like effort and support from other people to be able to like get myself in a position where I was like feeling good again, like doing my best at like interviewing and applying and looking for things and like learning new skills. And so I'm really proud of myself for being able to be resilient after that happened and not just dwelling in the puddle stage um, for months and months and years and years. I was definitely in the puddle stage for a while, but I'm proud of myself for getting out of there and moving on. I think that's an excellent accomplishment. And I know I said that was my last question, but if you'd like to share, I'd love to know what are some of the things that you did to bounce back from that? And I loved how you use you know, the metaphor, like it was a breakup. I think that makes a lot of sense, uh, you explaining it that way. And you also said you received a lot of support from others. I'm just curious, what other uh, things did you do to bounce back from that? So one thing that was interesting to me was that like, I like told people like what happened and what I was honest about what happened. Nine times out of 10 people were like, oh my God, that's nothing. Let me tell you about the time I got fired or like when I was your age, I was fired four times or whatever. (laughs) And so it made me feel a lot less alone. It's like a very stigmatized thing to have happen. But like the truth is like not every position is going to work out for everyone. And like not every organization that you interview with or every organization that you want to work with is going to be all it's cracked up to be or all you think that it is. 
being able to share that experience with other people was really helpful. And also just having a degree of honesty about what happened and being like, yeah, I made mistakes. Like I didn't do the best that I could on um, these things. I could have approached these other things differently. So I really felt like I was able to learn from it and not just be like hurt and in a puddle. The other thing that I did was as much as I could, I like took some time to work on myself and like learn some new skills. So when I was applying to jobs again, I was able to present myself like slightly differently and I had like different skills to put out and like it was kind of a not a new start entirely, but it was a little Mm -hmm. bit of like an altered uh, setup than I had beforehand. And so that was really helpful in just kind of adjusting to the fact that like the future is going to be different and like the the plans that I had counted on um, with that previous job weren't going to happen anymore. So it seems you it seems like you took extreme ownership over the situation and realized here's what I can improve on as as a person with my skills and then you went and did learn those new skills and took the time to gain more knowledge but then also gain perspective right from other people's stories and realized it is just a job right maybe perhaps the organization or the position it just wasn't a good fit and that's okay. I'm going to go find my, my best fit now. Cause at the end of the day, it is a job, right? And people, like you said, people get fired. It's just a parting of, of a job and, and that's okay. It happens. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Jules. I, I really appreciate your balance of, you know, being realistic, but also having dreams and goals and being able to look into the future. I think it's a a delicate balance that you really found there. And I I really appreciated hearing your story today. Thank you so much for listening. I really benefited from your insight. And I think you're a very thoughtful interviewer. Awesome. Thank you. Now, before we we say goodbye here, where can people find you on, you know, social medias, a LinkedIn? Uh, Would you like to shout out anything? Sure. Um, I have a newsletter, the Jules Letter, at tinyletter.com slash Julesgate, and I'm on Twitter at Julesgate. Awesome. Well, everyone, check Jules out there. Again, thank you so much for chatting with me, Jules. Thank you, Alexa.